You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite Executive Coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week, we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Stephen Adamanchuk to discuss succession planning within organizations and the importance of talent development. Stephen has a diverse and extensive background in human resources for medium-sized and large multicultural organizations. Stephen is passionate about ensuring that CEOs and executives understand the importance of their talent and the impact that is caused when talent development is not a focus for the organization. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Stephen and learn how he defines success and the lessons he's learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us. My pleasure. I want to really dive into sharing with our audience the conversation that you and I had had previously. I thought it was really fascinating. We had talked about how businesses really don't seem to understand or have succession plans and how they always really need to have a backup for their talent. So I really want to hear from you and please share with our audience your background and how you got into this kind of work. But why is succession planning so important to organizations? What is it? Any stories you want to share? I'm just going to let you tell everybody why this is so important and what it's all about. Well, let me just back up a second and tell you that I've been in the human resources field for at least 25 years. My background has crossed over a multitude of industries and cultures. I've gone from apparel to uh, healthcare to manufacturing to publishing to not-for-profit. I've been in academia. I've also been in energy and I've been in publishing. And in all those years that I've crossed over, one of my loves has been the study of people. In addition to that, I have always found fascinating uh, the fact that companies have always sought talent, but it often has been a point that budgets have always played a case in the argument, and sometimes it gets to a point where we've got to cut costs, so where do we cut costs? We cut it in training. To me, that has been a very, very critical point in developing people and moving forward. And what I have always felt is the question that I learned in retail a long time ago that, God forbid, something happens to a person who replaces that person. And I then got into this discipline of succession planning. And when I was in the publishing field, one of the key elements was competition. And one competitor would steal from another competitor. And what would you have or who would you have 
in replacing that person. Well, often enough, you had gone outside and recruited somebody. But we often neglected the talent that we had in the organization and the people with the skills that they had. And if the people didn't have the skills, what were we doing to develop those skills to move them forward in the organization? That also led to the question of how do we retain our people? And that's how I got started in the whole concept and working very diligently in this field. Definitely a passion of mine as well, and I know that this is something that's really important to you. One thing I've seen a lot is when someone leaves and they need to replace someone, oftentimes they replace someone or they replace that person with someone who may be technical from the team but doesn't have any leadership or management experience, and they assume just because they were able to do the job in a technical role that they can now lead the team and be a manager, but that doesn't always seem to work. So when you talk about succession planning, how do you address that problem or what have you seen with that? My experience in that area particularly is a quarterly review and my experience has been that I have set up plans where I would go from one department to another and obviously get buy-in from department heads on the plan before we put it into place. Once we had it into place, I would sit with them and identify what you would refer to as either your fast trackers or your potentials. What are the skills that they have? What are the skills that they lack? What are we doing to enhance the skills that they lack? We know what their strengths are, but what do we need to do to build it? Secondly, we would hopefully develop a program or set out a program. You bring up the issue of somebody technically qualified, but maybe don't have the people skills. Well, what then we need to work on is setting up some sort of program, whether it's an educational program or a in-house program to deal with the people skills so that in, in the next quarter, when I come back and say, okay, Jane has had the technical skills, where are we with those skills? Have we moved forward with them so that we can now move her up on the ladder? Not everybody has all of the skills always. We all know that. In each case, somebody is different. And sometimes you need to cross over from one area to another. As an example, when I was with a retail company, we had a couple divisions. You may find somebody in another division who has those skills and transfer over to a different division, but you still develop those individuals who are shortcoming in certain areas. You're always looking to know what the strengths are, but what you need to develop in order to enhance the growth of that person. Now, what does that do? That It does two things. One, it helps strengthen the talent in the organization, but it also helps to develop the individual in the organization to give them a sense of both security with the organization and a sense of being at that point. That also sounds like a great way to retain your talent and retain people by training and really giving them what they want in terms of career development and, and having them know that there's a path for them, there's a plan for them. There's not, you know, if someone leaves, they're not going to just go look for someone outside. They, these, these folks, I assume, know that they're part of a succession plan. And, and I would think that's a huge piece of retaining, retaining talent. You're absolutely right. If you go back to the dot-com era, one of the key elements in the dot-com area was people were jumping from one company to another. And unfortunately, 
we didn't recognize it quick enough because they simply jumped for the dollar. Mm-hmm. And I can pay you $1,000 more across the street than here. But in the interim, nobody sat to explain to them or the employee I'm referring to that, yeah, it's okay to jump for the 1000 but what are you really gaining? Where I can offer you, meaning the company, a training program that will not only enhance you within the organization, but may gain you tenfold in terms of your salary because we will be able to move you in the organization quicker. And I think that we missed the boat in that area some time ago. The other part of that was I learned something some time ago that I think I passed on to some of my HR people. You need to partner with your CFO because they control the numbers, you're controlling the talent and the people. If you get the CFO to understand the cost of losing talent and the cost of replacing it, it automatically puts a light bulb in the CFO's head and saying, Jesus, this is a cost for the bottom line. It brings a different picture to the CFO and to the organization when you can relate numbers to loss of talent at the same time. Something I've seen, and maybe you have some experience with this or have some words of wisdom for those listening. Unfortunately, I've seen too many times where good talent leaves because of bad leadership within a department maybe, or a division or whatever, even a small team. And the only people who are left on that team or in that division or department are the people who are just the kind of mediocre C players who are just happy to come to work and get their paycheck and, and kind of do the bare minimum. And leadership, like up at the top, executives don't seem to see that there's this mass exodus of top talent and then look at the root cause to try and figure out what needs to change in the organization within that team so that they can stop the bleeding, so to speak. Have you experienced that also, or have you ever advised on that topic? Absolutely. Uh, I've seen it too many times. And one of the keys in succession planning is you got to start at the top. Your buy-in is your CEO, and you start with your top managers. Are they the ones who are leading the organization who have the talent to do so? If they have a shortcoming, then you need to develop their talent as well. One of the key elements there is what we call a 360. You want to know from the peers, you want to know from the subordinates what kind of leadership you're getting. It just doesn't, it flows down into the organization, but it starts at the top. You know, it's interesting because there are a ton of books out there on leadership. And anybody could pick up a book. One of the best books I've ever read on leadership is A Leadership Talent by Coase and Posner. It's awfully challenging, but it's also mind-opening to get people to understand what leadership is really about. It isn't just getting up there and saying, I'm the department head. It's motivating people. It's getting to recognize them when there are those people in a group as you bring up and say, well, I'm here for my paycheck. Well, are you working with the team? Are you contributing? And what are you contributing? And are there things that you can help make the organization better uh, at this point? Even if it's a department, how do you make the department better? You get everybody to participate in that, not just an individual, not just one or two individuals and single them out because everybody else feels neglected, but you do it as a group and as a team. Peer pressure gets people to work together, and you'd be surprised when 
you get a team to work together. Everybody kind of plays together. Uh, it isn't a one individual sport at this point. Everybody is playing together. I do a lot of reading on teams because one of my focuses is creating high-performance teams and high-performance employees and creating organizations that thrive, detoxing, uh-huh. detoxing corporate America, which is kind of my catchphrase that I like to use because for my years in consulting and in government and the work I did, it was always so many toxic environments and it was painful to get up in the morning and, and by the end of it all I really had the, the Sunday night blues where I was really depressed on Sunday and it was it was really eating at me. And it was hard to put my finger on for a really long time. A lot of it had to do with I was just doing the wrong work for who I am. And a lot of people are good employees doing the wrong work, which makes them less good employees because they're not motivated to do that work. What as an HR professional, what are what is your experience or recommendation or what would you say to somebody to help them get, you know, high performance teams going or help make sure people are doing the right work for who they are and not just work that isn't for them? Well, I, I, I've often done a little exercise and when I get a group together and I want to create a high performance team, first of all, you need an assessment from who you're dealing with and what type of people you're dealing with. Meaning if I got a group and I'm going in, I want a little background on everybody. And I'm going to go around the room and ask everybody, if you were the CEO of this company, what would you change? Now, everybody doesn't like change, but change is necessary. What would you like to do to make this company better? Or how would you suggest we do something? And I'd ask everybody in the room to participate and answer that question. Some people will have good answers. Some people will not. Okay. But each time somebody does that, you challenge them with that question on how and why and what can I do better. And what happens is you get the people to, in that group to start motivating their thinking. You start elevating the performance level because you've just tried to raise the bar. And what you've just tried to do is raise their level of thinking. When you get people to start raising their level of thinking, they all of a sudden are beginning to see other people think in a different fashion, and they start thinking in a different fashion. There are, as you say, there are toxic climates that you walk into. And ironically, you can remove some of that toxic climate when you all of a sudden now put the least active individual in the group who doesn't even want to be there and say, you're the president of the company now. You're the CEO. You tell us how you want to achieve these goals that are set out by the board of directors, as an example. You get that individual at least, maybe not to the top of the class, but if they raise that level, one level or two levels, you're now getting the performance level raised up because the other achievers in the group will start raising their level up. Then you get a different environment in the room. I like that. That's a different assessment that I've heard than, I, than I've heard of before, but it's a very simple question. And while there may not be, all the answers might not be practical answers, but when you get everybody Absolutely. to share their answers and you get to say, create that space where there's no right or wrong, like everything said here is safe and no one's going to say, oh, that's stupid. And everyone at least has an opportunity. Even the shyest person has an opportunity and is encouraged to speak and empowers everyone to get more involved and to start thinking differently, like you were saying. Obviously, what it's what it's doing is it's it's you. You're right. It's encouraging people 
and there is no right and wrong. And when you start out, you say to everybody, there is no right and wrong, but I do what you don't, you set some ground rules down as saying anybody can contribute to anybody's answer and no answer here is right or wrong. So therefore, anybody who wants to add to Mary's comment, John's comment, Dan's comment, or whatever, please contribute. Because what we want to do is we want to bring this elevation up, and we want everybody to be participated of this. So nobody in the room has a magic wand, and nobody in the room here has the perfect answer. By doing that, you kind of remove those barriers from everybody who kind of like, I don't want to say anything because uh, I'm a little afraid of what I might say. By doing that, now you've at least given everybody a little bit more confidence level. And I think sometimes when you're in a group and you're encouraging participation, that's one of the things that you've got to do is remove the lack of confidence uh, that I can't contribute. Absolutely. And that was something I was just reading about in this book that I'm really excited about. It's called, uh, it's called Smarter, Faster, Better by Charles Duhigg. And he's the, he's the same gentleman who wrote The Power of Habit, which I had just finished listening to an audio recently. And yep. he's great because he goes out, he researches all this, and he's talking from how Google does it and what Google did spent years analyzing people. They have a team that just analyzes people, which sounds fascinating. That would be an awesome job. And in my opinion, I like people watching kind of like a, you know, I think you do, not just people watching, but understanding people. And that's what they were talking about. One of the outcomes of, of that study was how you make sure everyone gets to participate. And I like how you, how you started that off with kind of a simple question that has no right or wrong. And it's just, how would you do things if you were in charge? And by allowing everyone to contribute and setting those ground rules, it teaches people and going forward in other meetings where maybe there is more at stake, or maybe they have to come up with solutions faster and important decisions that everyone should be contributing. So it's a great starting point to create and foster that environment. I, I've always believed that having been a student of people for the years that I've been in this business or in the business world, everybody has something to contribute. Yes. It becomes a matter of being able to get them to speak up and get them to participate. Not everybody is a public speaker and can get up on a platform and talk to 500 people. Some people can only talk to two or three in a small group. But if you remove that kind of uncomfortableness and get them to participate, you'd be surprised what people can contribute. It's, it's really about getting to know the people on your team. If you're that leader, if you're the one managing a team, no matter how big or an organization or the entire organization, it's making sure that everyone in decision-making place knows the people that are working with them or for them and how to interact with those people and really understanding who people are at their deepest level so they can have those contributions from the people who might sometimes sit back quietly observing when they've got a lot of really good stuff up in their heads. Well, that gets back to my issue of being passionate about the secession planning. When you go through the exercise of saying, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and I hate the word weakness because it, it's just the word that doesn't encourage anything. But what are the what are the areas that you can better develop from your mm -hmm. entourage of experiences? You get to know your people better by sitting down and trying to understand who they are, what they are, and and what they can contribute. 
when you get that sense of feeling and you get that sense of understanding, you can become a better leader at the same time because now you know who can contribute, where they can contribute, and where others need to develop in order to contribute. Yeah, it's really brilliant. And really at the core of it, simple. It's having conversations. It's being human and having those conversations and getting out from behind our computers and our IM and our text messages and actually talking to the people we work with or work for or work for us and getting human again. I, I, I apologize because I'm laughing. No, I can tell you're laughing in agreement, I believe. I had a boss once. He came into my office one day and he said, what, what is Dan doing? And I got up and I said, Raphael, I have no idea. Said, Come here, walk with me. And we walked down the corridor and there in the office, he's texting, who do you think? I assume the gentleman his you were colleague, talking to. His colleague in the office next to him. Yeah. He got so annoyed that he walked into his office and he said, can't you get up and go next door and talk to Mary? And it was like, oh, the light bulb went on. We can't, we have to communicate. We've got to be able to talk to each other. And by virtue of sitting behind the desk and texting somebody or emailing somebody, we're losing that sense of communication. And when we do that, we lose the expression on somebody else's face to say, Jesus, is he really saying that? Is that what he said in that thing? And we lose the sense of understanding between each other. When you walk into a room and you do a training program, as an example, one of the things you've got to do, and I do this all the time, I'm, I'm sorry if people get objectionable to it, leave your cell phones in your office, leave your laptops in your office, because I could see people the first time I did this, uh, wait a minute, I, I may get a call. Uh, what's more important? Is this training for you more important? Or is uh, your cousin calling you about tickets for an event tonight? Tell anybody, just leave it, because here is where you're going to listen and learn something. I, I agree, and I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, it's my rule of thumb. If I'm on the phone or in a meeting with a client, that's my rule of thumb. It's like, my phone's away because I respect our time together. I expect the same from you. If you're on the phone with me, please, my email is down. Please keep yours down because... That it's it's distracting. There's no such thing as multitasking, and that's a conversation for another day that I could speak forever about because it's it's not real. It's not a, it's not a plus. It's not a bonus to having your employees be able to multitask. And I've I've experienced too much of the same thing where someone would IM me from down the cubicle hall, and I was just shocked. I'm like, I'm right here. Why are you messaging me? Why aren't you just getting up? Or people would. I am me from a couple floors away, fine, but they could have just picked up the phone. I didn't expect them at my desk, but I would pick up the phone and just answer their question on the phone because it was faster. It's been, you take more time to type out the question and answer question and answer than you would to pick up the phone and ask the question. I, the, the irony of that story is it's a personal thing. My daughter emailed me from downstairs one day and I came downstairs and I said, Rebecca, uh, you just texted me. Is there any reason why uh, you didn't come upstairs or call me downstairs to talk to me? Oh, it was easier for me, Dad. I says, really? And she just looked at me in befuddlement and couldn't understand why I said that. 
You know, what's funny, Stephen, is we all are sitting here going, oh, yes, kids these days. And the, but it's not. It's the adults in the office. It's the it's the boomers. Yep. It's the Generation Xers and Y. It's, everybody is now doing this. So a lot of us roll our eyes and say, oh, those millennials, they don't know how to communicate. But then at the end of the day, all we see in offices are people doing this exact same thing, and they are not the millennials that are guilty of doing it. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah, it, it's the truth. It's, you know, we can blame the millenniums. We can blame the uh, X generations. We can blame, it's easy to blame everybody, but everybody is a participant in this issue. So for those of you listening out there today, put down the phone when you're done listening. (laughs) Not till you're done. (laughs) And get back to work and call people. And with great productivity tools, there's so many great productivity tools out there, but when we don't use them for productivity and we use them for communication or to hide behind communication, and I call it keyboard confidence, when you can say something in the email that you would never say to someone's face or even over the phone, is it's time to think twice about what you're saying and how you're saying it. So it's time to bring kind of the, maybe bring the human back into human resources a little bit. Uh, absolutely. I totally agree with that statement. I want to switch gears a little bit. I always love asking my guests just a really, I call it a simple question, but I think a lot of people don't stop to ask themselves this question and they use a definition that has been given to them by society or by family. And I want to know how you define success, Stephen. It, 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 that's a good question. And I, I thought how, many times on how to deal with the question of success. And it, to me, it's been very, very simple. Everybody tells you to write down your goals and so forth. And you can have business goals, you can have personal goals, and no matter what goal you have. But to me, it's always been fulfilling the goal, but being happy. And if you're, if you're not happy at whatever goal you succeed at or you put down, to me, Unless you, you're happy at what you've succeeded in, and when I say succeeded, it means accomplishing what you set out to do, whether it's getting an education, getting a better job, earning a little bit more, it's saving for, for something that you wanted to save for but it's making you happy at the same time. I love that definition because I think too many people spend years going after what they think they're supposed to be going after and climbing the, the ladder and doing the career thing. And that's fine. And that's wonderful, especially if you're doing work that you want to be doing. But then you get to a point where you have all the money and the fancy cars, but if you're not happy, are you successful? And I would agree well, with you that that's not success if you're not happy. I, I've thought hard for because I've had two successful people tell me two things. It's an old adage, but it's very, very true. You can meet the people going up the ladder, or I should say you can meet the people coming down the ladder as fast as you met people going up the ladder. Um, And the other thing that I learned a long time ago is my dad taught me a long time ago, don't ever talk down to people, talk to people. Uh, And I I have learned by just that, those two things that not only have I had the ability to accomplish more by talking to people rather than down to people, but I've accomplished more and I've been happier in accomplishing them because as I talk to people and they buy into what I'm trying to get across, when I'm there making a success out of something, I walk away feeling real good about what I've done and I feel good about 
who I've done it to that I walk away happy. And if, if I don't succeed, then I'm not happy. Happiness is, is really such an important piece of life. I see so many people, and I live in the D.C. metro area, so traffic is just atrocious. And so many people are, you know, getting on, getting on what we call the beltway and going to jobs, and they are just miserable. And maybe they're yep. making really good money, but, and if that's their definition, definition of success, I, I will never say that they're wrong. There is no right or wrong in this. But the, the reason I ask my guests the definition of success for them is because what I want is for my listeners out there to understand that you get to create your own definition of success. And if your definition is the paycheck and the money and the fancy car, and that's really your definition of success, whether you're happy or not, then that's your definition of success. But if your definition of success, like you said, is happiness, for someone like myself, while I was making really good money as a traveling consultant and I was seeing really great places globally and first-class tickets and really fun stuff, I was not happy because it wasn't the right work for me because it didn't fulfill me. It didn't give me a sense of at the end of the day I had done something that meant something. And for me, that was important. So I wasn't happy. And with that not being happy, it, it didn't feel like success. And I decided to leave that behind and really reinvent and start again, which for a lot of people is very scary and very hard to do. And it, for me too, I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. And it can be very scary, but I'm much happier now, even, even making less money. And I get to meet amazing people and have these conversations. And that is such a joy for me. So I would say money is not, for me, a definition of definition of success. If it is for someone listening, then there's no right or wrong in that, but find your own definition. It doesn't matter what your parents said it was or your teachers or your colleagues or your spouse or your kids. Find your definition of success and and go after it because when you're doing work that lights you up, everything around you changes. You bring up an excellent point as well, and that is that when our parents' parents grew up, they sometimes were required to, to to do things because things were tough and things were difficult in those days. Today, things are different. And I see the new generation of millenniums coming up and I see them taking a different viewpoint. Thanks, Stephen. Is what the leadership is and what they expect. I, I think they're looking for a bit more because they see what their parents have gone through and they're looking for a bit more happiness. In their, in, in their goals. So it, it's encouraging to me when I get in front of a group and I, I see a mixture of the boomers versus the millenniums. And I try to draw a contrast between the two so that the two can see the other side. But it's, it's very, very obvious to me that uh, as we're going forward, and I'm glad to see it, that there is a better uh, understanding of what makes them happy at what they do. No matter how old you are or how long you've had a certain definition, definition of success, it's never too late to change it if it's not working for you. And that's the thing I love is if something's not working for you, figure out why and do something different. I, I, I would always ask somebody the simple question, if you're not happy doing it, why are you doing it? You know, there are simple questions to put to people and we've kind of overlooked the simplicity of things at times. And ironically, You've got to get back to some basics before you can make the big jump up the ladder. And 
Brian, as we start to wrap up our, our call here today, you've given us some great information. You've given us some great advice that you were given by your father and other folks that you've been, you've worked with over the years. You've given us one book that you really like and your definition of success and some really great information about succession planning your contact information and bio will be in the show notes. So anybody who does want to reach out to you or talk with you will have that opportunity. And I want to know what, what have you learned that you want to share with the next generation of leaders that those up and comers, whether they're millennials or maybe further along in their career, but they're still that they're next, they're in the succession plan. They're the next ones coming up to take over. What, what is it that you've learned or what is that one piece of advice that you want to share with them? It's a very simple piece, and it may sound corny to some of your listeners at this point. It's be patient. Nothing comes easy, but be open-minded about everything. I like it. I don't think it's corny at all. Got to be open-minded, or you're going to miss. Thank you. Opportunities that present themselves that may not look like opportunities on their face value. When we want something, it doesn't just show up like a check in the mail. It shows up as an opportunity that we have to act upon. And if we're open-minded to things, opportunities will always show up if we're willing to act on them. So thank you for that advice. I think it's wonderful. My pleasure. It's been my pleasure. This has been great. I always love our conversations. We have a lot in common from a perspective of what really lights us up and helping people and organizations, what we find fulfilling. And I've always really enjoyed talking with you. Well, it's been my pleasure and I've enjoyed immensely this conversation with you. And I hope that your uh, listeners get uh, as much out of it as uh, I've been able to give them. No doubt that they will. We'll have you back on. We'll talk about something else, and I really appreciate this. So have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you again. Take care. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>